Hello, patriots. Welcome back to Living with Liberty, your source for common sense and truth. Bringing you insight from outside the mainstream, I am your host, Ryan. Today I have companies that are dropping Kanye West, the CDC knowingly peddling misinformation, and I have a piece calling for pandemic amnesty. Next, I'm Living with Liberty. can't wait for November 9th. The reason is not only because of the expected flip of our representative bodies from Washington, D.C. down to our state capitals and local levels, but also because it'll put an end to this ridiculous bombardment of political advertising everywhere you turn. This cycle seems to have been particularly ridiculous from primary season on through the general election here in terms of the number of ads, the number of mailers, and everything else that I've gotten and have seen just in relation to the election. It's just been ridiculous. It's one of these things here with these ads that if they had the intention of educating people, that's fine, whatever, but they don't. Their only intent of these ads, these mailers, and everything else is to prey upon the low-information voter by utilizing fear and, at best, half-truths. I say at best, half-truths. There's falsities in everything that's put out there. It doesn't matter if it's Democrat or Republican, political mailings. They're They're both guilty of it. Now, with all the mailers that I've seen and I've gotten this election cycle, I'm fully expecting U.S. Postal Service to turn a profit this year, I mean, it's just been insane, the amount of mailers in my, my snail mail box every day. Now, I know I sound curmudgeonly and, and grumpy about this, but it's been just ridiculous. You can't get away from it. Everywhere you turn, it's been ads. You go to YouTube to watch a video, it's two political ads. I have streaming service. I have Hulu. Every freaking TV show I watch has been political ads for the last Two months, at least, if not longer. Just nothing but political. I don't even know what products are new anymore. I I know which, which uh, <laughs> I know which uh, political candidates not to vote for. They don't want me to vote for anyway. But I, I don't know what's you know new in the and exciting in the world of consumer products. Who knows? Probably nothing. There's really nothing that's you know brand new anymore. <laughs> it's just a a variation of an old idea. But anyway. It just been insane. I'm tired of it. I can't wait. You know, I know November 9th will roll around. We'll at least get a reprieve of political ads through the through the new year <laughs> at a minimum. But at least, you know, we won't have to listen to the fear mongering. My mailbox won't be littered with with junk mail from these politicians. My email inbox won't my spam box, because that's where it all goes now is my spam inbox won't be littered with political ads and and emails from supposedly from candidates anyway they're you know the the Republican National Committee or whoever's sending it out on the behalf of the candidates for fundraising I won't have any more of those anymore um thank goodness anyway beyond that though kind of on a more serious note make sure you get out and vote November 8th take 10 people with you if somebody says they're not voting 
tell them they are and they need to go, especially if they're one of those that I'm not voting because of uh, election integrity and blah, blah, blah. My vote doesn't count. Your vote doesn't count if you don't go. So get out and vote. I get it. There's apprehension about voting. I, I understand that. I, I ran into it when I ran for school board earlier this year. I've run into it as I've made phone calls for a, a friend here who's running uh, for our, our uh, district uh, State our, our um, district for a state house seat here, so I get it. There's apprehension about voting because of just the lack of, uh, in some places anyway. Some states have been successful passing uh, election integrity bills. Some have not, just because Republicans haven't held the trifecta of state government. But that's no reason to not vote. What does what does not voting accomplish in that point? I'm not going to vote because I don't trust the system. Okay, you're just giving in to exactly what the left wants then. The left wants demoralized and skeptical voters of our elections. As much as they scream about election integrity, the only election integrity to Democrats is Democrats getting elected. elected. That's election integrity to the left. They want you to not vote. That's you're giving. If you say I'm not voting because of this, then you are giving in to them. Get out and vote because in order to enact the reforms that are needed to make our elections secure, to make it easier to vote and harder to cheat, we have to put elected officials in place that will pass the legislation that enacts voter integrity laws that makes our elections more secure. If you don't vote, if you don't go out and vote for these people, they don't get in position our, our elections don't get any more secure. So you can't boycott our poll, your polling place. It's not going to work. You have to get out and vote. You have to get out and make your voice heard. Yes, your voice, uh, your vote does matter. It is heard. Get out and do it. All right, moving on. Gap has become the latest company to sever ties with Ye or Kanye West or Kim's ex or whatever he's calling himself these days, Candace's buddy. I don't know, whatever. But Gap cut ties with him over his White Lives Matter shirt and anti-Semitic commentary. Uh, you know what? The the commentary, yeah, it's gross. White Lives Matter shirt, you know what? He's making a statement, and it's a statement that needs to be made that all lives matter. So I don't have a problem with that. Gap does because they're run by Wokatarians, but, you know, that's beside the point. Adidas cut ties with Kanye earlier, uh, and... What that means for them is they're going to lose a quarter of a billion dollars by cutting ties with Kanye and getting his his line of shoes and clothing out of their their stores and out of their their um their product set here. So they're gonna they're gonna lose a fair bit of money. And they're being upfront about that. Said, "Yep, we're gonna lose this money, but our uh, our uh, principles, our integrity, come ahead of that." Kanye said some things we don't appreciate. Again, Adidas probably run by wokeitarians too. The White Lives Matter thing, probably the last straw for them as well. So they finally say, yeah, we're just going to cut ties, whatever. Gap is going to lose more money. The Gap is going to lose in the neighborhood of $290 million. I don't feel bad for either company that signed on with him or any company that signs on with him. They know what they're getting into when they sign on with Kanye West. He's got a history of off-the-wall behavior. He's got a history of comments that are off the, off the wall. They're out there. They're controversial. He, he doesn't back down with them, which I, you know what? Honestly, I admire that. He doesn't, he has a position. He sticks to it. He's got principles. Do I agree with the, with the comments that are being tabbed anti-Semitic? Absolutely not. I think that's uh, not right. It's disgusting. And 
he probably shouldn't uh, have said what he said about that. But, you know, some of the other stuff, Kanye being Kanye, man, whatever. You know what you're getting into with him. So why then do these companies, Gap and Adidas, and there are probably others out there, why do they sign on with Kanye West? Well, they figured, one, he's on their side. He's He was perceived to be on the side of the Wokatarians. So in the name of profits, because let's let's be honest, Kanye West is a big name, especially in the fashion design. He's been successful. He's a big name. He's going to bring profits into these companies. That's what it's all about. So to a certain degree, even though they're Wokatarian companies, they're going to put their principles aside for a minute when the almighty dollar comes calling. So because of that, because Kanye has, yes, high risk bringing him on, on board, but also high reward, they were willing to look the other way on the behavior and some of the commentary and everything else. Gap especially, because they're struggling. Let's be real. Retail is struggling. Our country is over-retailed. There's way more retail outlets than we need. If you go ahead and look at the, uh, maybe someday I'll get into the analysis of that. It's honestly fascinating to me. might not be that fascinating to you. Um, But as a country, we have way more uh, square footage of retail space in any other country on the planet. So, uh, and because of that, you know, Gap is is struggling because they have way more outlets than they need. One, two, where are Gap outlets? They're in malls. What happened to malls? Well, they've gone the way of the dinosaur. They're closed. A lot of them have closed. A lot of the big ones have closed. So Gap is struggling. They're now relegated to things like strip malls and things like that that are a little more successful, but uh they're still struggling because really what's the difference between $150 pair of jeans and the, the $40, $50 pair of jeans? N- nothing, right? A name, the name that's on the ass, right? That's the difference between them. So Gap being struggling retailer, they are, were especially willing to look the other way as they entered this partnership with Kanye because it was thought to have a potential of, of bringing a billion dollar brand under their umbrella. They thought their partnership with Kanye, they look at the risk, they look at the reward, they said the risk is worth a potential of a billion dollars here. So what did the Gap get besides the headache that is Kanye West, the behavior, the -the off-the-wall commentary? What else did they get? Well, they got a clothing line that Kanye decided was best displayed in literal garbage bags, in addition, again, to the personality headaches that come with dealing with uh, with the volatile Kanye West. Again, I don't feel bad, one bit bad for any company burned by this loose cannon. I don't. They, you you get what you get when you uh, sign on with Kanye West. You understand that past behavior, he's, there's, he's, there's past there. We have a history. We have a repeated history of behavior with Kanye West in terms of commentary, in terms of behavior, in terms of things he's done in terms of just his uh, penchant to do an about face the next day. You sign up for that, and you know what you're getting. You understand that, or you should anyway, Um, especially because there hasn't been any turning, there hasn't been any repentance on his side from that behavior, from that past behavior. He's, He's said the right things, but we haven't seen it yet, let's be honest. So I don't feel one bit bad. I don't feel one bit bad that Adidas is taking a $250 million hit by cutting Kanye loose. I don't feel bad that Gap's taking a $290 million hit by cutting Kanye loose. They did their own risk-reward analysis. They uh, they made their bed. Now they have to lie in it. So that's uh, 
all well and good. I, my bigger concern here, my biggest concern is with Kanye's supposed purchase of Parler and what that means for the platform because he lost these partnerships, if you will. He lost the revenue stream. He lost the capital he would have had to invest in Parler. And as many of you know, the platform has basically been in flux from a functionality standpoint ever since Jeff Bezos's company wiped it off the internet because they viewed it as the mode of communication for the tourists of January 6th. Again, Kanye lost his major revenue streams. He lost his major capital investments, anything he could use for collateral to uh, pony up to invest in Parler. He lost that when Gap and Adidas dropped him. And to be fair, Kanye actually dropped Gap before Gap dropped Kanye. Uh, so Kanye losing his major revenue streams. I saw one account here that Kanye West's net worth plummeted from $2 billion to $400 million after Adidas dropped him. And I can only imagine after the... the uh, dissolving of the Gap partnership, that that net worth has gone down further since then. So that doesn't bode well for Parler in terms of investment capital available to Kanye West to put back into the platform to shore up some of these functional deficiencies that us users have seen over the course of the last two years. Nor does really the history of volatile behavior from Kanye inspire confidence in anybody, especially a lot of the, the users I interact with and talk to. And we've had conversations. I mean, I personally, I hope it works out. I hope Kanye is a good thing. I think so far, you know, as far as generating some buzz for the platform again, it's been good. The gold badgers have come back. There's been an influx of, old and new users who have flocked to Parler after the announcement that Kanye was taking it over. The end of the day, that's going to last maybe one to three months as uh, people don't have a tolerance to stick around if things aren't improving. If, if things aren't trending in the right direction from a functionality standpoint on the platform, those people that came back, those new people that came in, those gold badgers that came back, aren't going to stick around. It Let's be real. The gold badgers, especially, they're narcissists. They're there they're to post their their corporately approved drivel, and then they move on. They don't even interact. I don't even follow a bunch of them. There's a couple I do, but they're actually like real people that I interact with that actually interact back with you when you comment on their posts. They're regular people, not just uh, you, you know someone's proxy that's running their social media account for them, posting whatever, and then moving on. And then, you know, the, the fight begins in the comments that, you know, most of these gold badgers don't even look at or, or even care about really. They're, they're, they're there just to get the eyeballs on, on whatever drivel they're spewing that day. Um, you know, I really am. I really am hoping for the best for parlor with Kanye as the owner. I really wanted to see succeed. I think Parler needs to succeed. It's a great alternative to Twitter, to Facebook. Um, as much as we kid sometimes that Parler's under George Farmer wants to be a Twitter clone, it's still a lot better than Twitter from that standpoint. But at the end of the day, if they don't fix the functionality issues, people are going to leave. There's other platforms, especially with Elon Musk taking over Twitter, 
Twitter has the functionality. It's going to open up from a, a standpoint of free speech. So people are just going to go back there. Facebook, Facebook's dying, you know, throw that out. But um, you got other sites like MeWe, uh, Getter. I mean, Getter's been around less time than Parler, and it functions better. So I, I don't know what they're doing at Parler. They need to do something. Hopefully Kanye can do something and puts the investment behind it. Like I said, I'm very skeptical of that now that he's losing net worth left and right. And the other thing is, I'm, again, hoping for the best, but I think past behavior is an indicator of future behavior, and I really don't have high hopes for Kanye's parlor at this point. Hopefully I'm proven wrong. All right, I have a favor to ask. Head over to YouTube and subscribe to my show there. If you aren't already subscribed there or on Rumble, I guess if you're watching this, you're already there. You're probably already subscribed. But if you're not, um, subscribe to my show there on YouTube. Uh, And while you're there on YouTube, after you get done subscribing to my show, head over to the At Liberty Country page and give Renee a subscribe, a follow, and a thumbs up there as well. She just posted a new video of her favorite Halloween songs, mainly country, mostly country songs. There's not a lot of, actually not a lot of Halloween-specific songs, as she notes, but she posted uh, some of her favorites. It's a fantastic list. I love the list that Renee put together there. I Go and check it out. Give her a follow. Uh, At Liberty Country will definitely keep you in the know of what's new and off the beaten path in country music, and it'll bring back to mind some old favorites as well. All right, moving on. I want to know what retribution the CDC is going to face in light of their obvious catering to Big Pharma when it comes to the jabby jab. And honestly, I've been calling it the therapeutic injection. I don't even know what to call it anymore because it's obvious that it's not even trending in the direction of being a therapeutic with how ineffective it is. You take it, you get sick still. And there's no correlation to that can be pointed to that says if you take the jab, your symptoms will be less. There, there's no correlation. There's no way anybody can correlate that because I've had COVID. I'm not vaccinated, and my symptoms weren't that bad. It was an annoyance, yes. Did I feel terrible? Yes. Was I in danger at any point of going to the hospital? No. Was uh, Would uh, uh, the injection have lessened my symptoms? Doubtful. And that's the story among many people I know that have gotten the jab and have gotten sick and said, eh, it probably didn't matter either way. Or they've gotten the jab, haven't gotten the booster since, and gotten sick and said, mm, I probably wouldn't have known the difference anyway. So the CDC is using blatant misinformation in the decision that was made to place this useless jab on the childhood vaccination recommendations, the childhood vaccination schedule that the CDC recommends. And, oh, by the way, lots of states and school districts around the country follow and say, okay, well, CDC recommends this. This is you want to go to a government school. These are the things you got to do. You got to get all these jabs uh, that are on this list. Because the CDC said so, because they're smarter than we are. No, they're full of uh, of grifters and, and useless bureaucrats who don't know anything. That's what the CDC is full of. They're full of people happy to take pharma's money. That's what the CDC is full of. I have an Epic Times piece here that's titled CDC officials told they spread in misinformation but still didn't correct the issue by Zachary Stiber. 
When are people going to wake up and realize that the CDC deserves zero trust at this point? The article outlines that in the lead up to the presentation to the CDC's vaccine advisory panel, doctors Catherine Fleming Dutra and Sarah Oliver were told that the statistics from a study they were sharing or had shared in that presentation were wrong. This is confirmed through emails obtained by the Epic Times through a freedom of information request. So this isn't even just hearsay. This isn't just somebody saying, yeah, I told them. I told them they had their stats wrong. There were emails going back and forth within the CDC that said, hey, you have wrong statistics here in this study that you're propagating throughout the organization that you're giving to the uh, the committee that's going to decide whether this goes on the, the childhood vaccine schedule or not. Now, did this misinformation sway that, that, that committee? No, I don't think so. Did it play a part? I'm sure it did. Was it the whole part that's, or was it the whole, um, you know, the whole uh, picture that this committee looked at was these mis, uh, these statistics that were wrong when they made the decision? No, because that, that committee's full of hacks and, and people in hock to big pharma. So, they probably looked at it and said, oh, yeah, here's the statistics we can cite to back up our decision. It wasn't the sole um, determining factor of their decision. Uh, the sole determining factor of their decision is how much is Big Pharma going to give the CDC and these people. That's the, that's the factor there. That's the biggest factor. So we have emails that said, hey, your statistics are wrong. you got to look at this. Now, Steiber notes in his piece that, after an internal discussion. So they saw the emails. They had an internal discussion. After that internal discussion about how to respond to the emails, the CDC chose to do nothing, and Fleming Dutra and Oliver rolled on with the presentation containing the misinformation anyway. And on top of it, this presentation they gave, the stats, the everything that was contained in it, also was... Uh, also contained within that was a, a non-peer-reviewed study. So typically, when you're giving these things in the medical field, I don't know a ton about this. It's a little bit I've gleaned over the years here. But you typically have, best practice is, when you're giving something like this, a presentation to make a recommendation on something somebody should put in their body, especially you have other other medical professionals review it. So they can add whatever two cents they have, their observations, you know, actually do sciencey things. So they, they presented something that was non-peer-reviewed. So they said, oh, this, this, you know what that tells me? It said this fills, uh, fits our narrative. So we are just going to present it as is. I'm not going to solicit any other information that might run counter to my narrative and the, the ultimate outcome I want. The decision to recommend that your kids be human pincushions for this COVID jab was based in part on false information in a study that was not reviewed by medical peers, as is common practice. So we have misinformation abounds in here. We have not even the best information in here that was put into this decision that was made. And then, because our government is headed by liars and grifters from top to bottom in just about every branch and agency, Steiber notes that a week later, CDC Director Rochelle Walensky appeared to cite the same false statistics while urging parents to get their children vaccinated. 
despite no evidence the vaccines protect against severe illness and despite the clinical trials returning substandard or unreliable results for shielding against infection. So what does that mean? For the leftists out there, substandard or unreliable results means it doesn't work. We know it doesn't protect against infection. We know it doesn't protect against the spread. We know you still can get sick. In some cases, does it maybe give somebody that's older with more health issues some protection and and maybe lessen their symptoms? Possibly, like I said, nobody's been able to really correlate that, though. We know that this thing is bad for kids, that kids shouldn't be taking it. COVID doesn't really affect kids anyway, especially healthy ones. I don't know how else I can put this to people, but... This is all about controlling you, controlling what you do, controlling what you put in your body. It's as plain and simple as that. It's about control. And I'll throw in there, it's about the money. It's not about my body, my choice. It's about lining the pockets of the Democrat donors. Big Pharma, you think about abortions, cut off the abortions, there goes the money to Planned Parenthood, and by proxy, donations to Democrat officials through the workers of Planned Parenthood and maybe the organization itself. You admit that the jabs don't work and the profits of Big Pharma collapses, and there goes the campaign donations, and you know what? That goes to Republicans, too. This is a Democrat administration. These are Democrat hacks and activists that are leading these agencies. So, yeah, I'm going to put the the blame on them. I'm going to call them out more, but you know what? Republicans take pharmaceutical donations too. They're just as complicit. More and more data comes out every day about how ineffective the jab is, about how many side effects there are with it, about how many uh, kids just get sick from it with things that they never would have been sick with. Myocarditis, blood clots, whatever. More and more data comes out, yet We continue, not we, but the idiots at the CDC continue to push this thing. The pincushion in chief continues to brag about how he just got his fifth jab. What? It's not about making you healthy. It's about control and it's about the money. It's about donor money. There's no long-term data on the effects of this jab. We're just now learning about them through the largest clinical trial in history. Now, generally speaking, it's at least 10 years to get a new vaccine to market. This jab took, what, 10 months before it was being stuck in people's arms? took 10 months before it got emergency use authorization, started putting it in people's arms, and then the mandates came. Vaccine passports. You have to take this jab to keep your job. You have to take this jab to go anywhere within society. And it wasn't proven. It didn't do what it said it was going to do. We had no idea on the long-term risks associated with it because it did not go through the normal cycle of development and the long-term clinical trials that go with it. We're in those long-term clinical trials right now. Yet the pressure is still on to get it into arms from kids to adults with the pincushion in chief, like I said, bragging about how he just got his fifth jab. Does that sound like a vaccine that is effective to you? What's a vaccine? It is to prevent disease. Do you need five of them to prevent disease and prevent transmission? You shouldn't. It's not a vaccine. If you do, you shouldn't need five jabs and counting and saying, well, you're going to have to get this every year. 
to, to be protected. That's not a vaccine then. It's a very useless therapeutic. And like I said, I'm struggling to even call it that. This is about money and control, and that's it. All right, subscriptions are one of the big ways podcasts get discovered. So if you could please do me a favor and whatever platform you are listening to uh, or viewing this on, please hit the subscribe button. It will give you an alert whenever new Living with Liberty is published. And the subscriptions help us get into the recommendations so others can find the show. All right, now on to a story that very few are talking about, none in the Democrat media, none. Diesel fuel inventory is at its lowest level for October, according to records that span back 14 years. Now, I don't know if we were measuring diesel inventories prior to 2008. Uh, the story I'll link in the description box uh, says the records go back 14 years. They go back to 2008. So before then, who knows? But at least in the last decade plus, we, our diesel fuel inventory is at its lowest point and going lower. Now, as of October 21st, the U.S. had just under 26 days of supply of diesel on hand, and that's down from just over 34 days five weeks prior. Again, where's the reporting on this? Who is talking about this? Because diesel fuel is a key, uh, a key input into the economy. It runs just about every delivery vehicle out there from the Amazon trucks that come to your door to UPS trucks, FedEx trucks, semis, I mean, trains, the, the diesel uh, locomotives. It runs everything. Where's the reporting on this? Nowhere to be found, obviously, because it would be just another reminder directly ahead of midterms about how big of a disaster the Democrats' energy policy has been for the country, how big of a disaster Joe Biden has been for the country. So what's causing this diesel shortage? High gas prices. Yes. Yeah, you heard that right. The causality of this is high gas prices. As we saw record high and continue to see uh, gas prices that are well above what they were when Biden took office, no matter what he says, they're still a dollar, dollar fifty, almost two dollars again in some places at this point as gas has been going up again, higher than when he took office. Those high Prices are causing people to make choices. People are saying, do I drive my car to the store or do I drive my car to work and be able then to pay for food and the goods I need? Well, people are picking driving to work. They're not driving their own cars to stores. They are having things like their groceries and other goods, clothes, whatever, delivered to their houses. So what do those vehicles run on? Diesel. Of course, they run on diesel. Most of them run on diesel. So demand for diesel has been increasing, has increased. Now, you can't just have, you know, the one, yes, the, the kind of the one, um, the one cause here. There's, there's another one here. The other big factor is refinery closures. And that's dropping our diesel refining capacity. And there's no new diesel refining capacity coming online. There's no new refining capacity coming online in this country of any sort. The last time we had a major refinery come online was the 70s. There's been some smaller ones since then, but the last major one that would give a big boost to, to capacity in the, the refining space hasn't, been on, hasn't come online uh, in the last 50 years. It's been 50 years plus since we've seen that happen. There's only so much output that current refineries are able to provide. As a process like refining oil and distillates, 
it runs 24 seven and it's somewhere between 90 to 95% of uh, capacity of, of our, uh, of our refineries. It's a real mess out there. Now you're listening to this and saying, well, there's, there's five to 10% of available capacity left. You can, you can say that that's, that's fine. And there is theoretically, but you can't run a process at a hundred percent for long stretches of time for any sustained amount of time. Things go wrong. Maintenance needs to be done. You keep doing that. And especially in an oil in an industry like oil refinery, and you're, you're running at a hundred percent for a long stretch of time. That means you're, you're neglecting those, those safety uh, maintenances that need to be done, the, the preventative maintenance to be done. And things can really go bad in a hurry if you don't accomplish uh, those, those uh, preventative maintenance things. It's critical to safety that you have these, the, these regular checkups and, and maintenances be done. Otherwise, you're going to blow the refinery up. Now, you look at this. There's only two ways then to increase diesel supply, and it's not, it's not running that extra 5 to 10% that, that you know, seems to be available here in the refining space. There's only two ways to increase diesel supply. You have to open up more refining capacity or you have to decrease demand. That's it. You got two choices. That's those are your two choices. One of two. That's it. We know that new refining capacity is not on anyone's radar. This debacle of of an administration isn't going to allow new refineries to be built, period. Even if someone, even if one of the major oil companies came to them today and said, Hey, I want to build a new refinery that's going to increase capacity, they wouldn't get any permitting for it. So that leaves decreasing demand. Well, now, diesel prices are still over $5 a gallon in many areas and rising. I saw the other day that's one station I passed, diesel's up to 562. It had been hovering around five bucks a gallon. It's now up over uh, $5.60 and probably heading further given this story that I'm covering right now. What I can see happening here is that the consumers, the end consumers will start seeing fuel surcharges for deliveries start to trickle down to them, to their online orders. You have to decrease the demand somehow. Now, what companies do, what these e-commerce platforms are doing now is they absorb the cost of delivery. So that means fuel, everything that goes in, paying the driver of the car or the uh, delivery vehicle, fuel, whatever, they absorb it uh, within their profit margins. Now, as fuel continues to stay stubbornly high, we have a shortage that's going to shoot diesel even higher. They're going to not really eat it is eat the increases in their margins anymore. So what are they going to do? They're going to pass that along. It could be a separate line, line item on the invoice you pay at checkout uh, from an e-commerce site. It could be they just raise their prices uh, again. Uh, they've been doing that already. They could raise them further to account for the increase in fuel costs because diesel's ex- getting really expensive. It could be that you have an, a, a website like walmart.com. You have a, a place, Walmart or Target, that has uh, physical stores that say, look, we're going to give you a choice. Here's the price of this item if you want it delivered to you. It's higher than if you were to come pick it up. Uh, like, we'll do the shopping for you. You come and do the pickup, the curbside pickup, whatever. Or you just come in and get it out of the store yourself. You got your choice. Which one are you going to choose? 
So that that's what I see happening could potentially happen. Is these these are the fact is these costs are going to get passed on to you somehow. These these retailers aren't going to keep eating the cost of the increasing price of diesel. So there's there's you know one of those two ways, and you know if it it's going to be one of those that. Um, triggers customers to to go to the store there themselves, which will ease the pressure on the diesel and the diesel fuels inventories will recover in any way will recover and um, prices will come down. But it's going to be a while. It's it's going to be all winter. This isn't you know we don't just cut it off and everybody starts going to do curbside pickup or whatever tomorrow and you know delivery vehicles get less and less. Uh, or deliveries get less and less to people's homes and these vehicles using diesel. It's going to take a long time because, like I said, there's only so much refining capacity out there. So you really have to drop uh, the the consumption to somewhere south of 90 to 95% utilization rate of the, the refineries in order to start building inventories back up. And my guess would be you'd have to get it 10% below that, so 80 to 85% to really start to see uh, some changes in the inventory in a semi-rapid manner. Any way you look at it, this diesel shortage is going to end up taking another bite out of your wallet, however. So just, you know, another thing that the mainstream media, the legacy media doesn't want to talk about because it's another one of those things because of stupid policy decisions is hurting the average American. All right. Finishing up for today, I have an Atlantic article here titled, Let's Declare a Pam, uh, Pandemic Amnesty by Emily Oster. Now, I'm going to be fair out of the gate here. There were some things in this article um, I agreed with Emily Oster on. It's an Atlantic article, so of course it's got a leftist bent and spin to it. But within the article itself, there were some good points made by Emily Oster. She's, I believe, an economist uh, a uh, professor at Brown University, I think it was, if I remember right. Things like she put in there that she was on the side of get kids back in school. It's what we did to them is harming their education. I'm behind that. I was behind that then. Very, very uh, good position to have. So those things I'm not going to to really touch on. The things that I uh, 100% agree with that we have uh, alignment on that I can see myself in a conversation with Emily Ulster saying, yes, I agree with you that on that. And also I think what it proves is Emily Ulster is someone that I could probably have a reasonable discussion with. Now, what I'm going to cover here is this idea of a, the pandemic amnesty and how much I don't agree with that statement, with that line of thinking, because it, it just opens up a whole host of problems. Now, Kind of out of the gate here with this piece. There's a subtitle to this piece. I guess it's kind of a subtitle. It's like a quote. I don't know exactly what to call it, but it was directly below uh, the title of the article and Emily Oster's name. So uh, I'm calling it a subtitle. If someone knows what it is, let me know. Send me an email. I'll know for the next time I see it. But anyway, that, that little subtitle piece read this way. It said this. We need to forgive one another for what we did and said when we were in the dark about COVID. Okay, here's the thing. I'm willing to forgive people if they apologize and admit they were wrong. I'm willing to forgive people if they came to me and said, hey, 
there were a lot of unknowns during that early days of the pandemic. And everybody said, you know, I said some really bad things and it turned out it wasn't right. Can you forgive me? Yes, I can. I, I, it's not a big deal. You know, at that point, if you admit and are in are earnest about that, seeking forgiveness, yes, of course I'll forgive you. That's, we all have to live together and I'd rather not hold a grudge against anybody. It's just exhausting holding grudges. That's why leftists have permafrowns on their faces because they hold grudges against everybody all the time. I'm willing to do that. I'm willing to forgive if you admit that you were wrong and humbly come and ask for forgiveness. And if I said something to you that was, uh, that, that, you know, was in the same vein, then I will, I will, humbly come before you, apologize, and ask for your forgiveness. That's how this works. I'm willing to do that. Everyone was on edge during the early days of the scamdemic because there were so many unknowns. We didn't know anything about this virus. We just know it escaped from China and it had to, you know, the models, while well, we knew the models now were garbage, we knew the models were garbage after probably two to four weeks. But the early models were like, ooh, this is going to be really bad. So that's the best data we had available at the time. It put everybody on edge. And um, people said some things they, they wish they hadn't. And I understand that. We all do that. We're human. It happens. But I will in no way grant amnesty to anyone, least of all the government corruptocrats who took this public health emergency and used it as a right to strip our rights and exert control over the population. There will be no amnesty for that. Amnesty suggests that we totally forget everything that went on. Amnesty can probably best be defined as a pardon on steroids. What's a pardon? It's like you're forgiving your gar your governor, president, whoever pardons criminals. What is that? It's saying, okay, you're pardoned. Your crime is forgotten. It's wiped clean. You know, go forth. Amnesty is like a pardon on steroids, and it's like saying, okay, we're totally just let's forget about this whole thing. Right. Let's forget about what we said. Let's forget about how our government turned against us. Let's forget about how people were vilified for exercising their right to decide what goes into their body. Let's just forget about all that. It, this this crap doesn't deserve amnesty, though. I'm sorry. That may be harsh, but I'm sorry. There will be no amnesty for this. I will never forget it nor excuse it because the moment I do, these clowns will do it again. They will come and do a liberty grab again. You can bet on it. Now, if Dr. Gardenome and the turds at the CDC want to finally reverse course, admit that their guidance is, was an absolute fa failure, that they didn't, uh, that they didn't uh, change course based on the changing conditions of the pandemic and the, the changing data they were getting in-house, in, uh, in and, and if they've reversed the course on pushing this useless jab that by all accounts, doesn't do a damn thing, then I can forgive them. I'll forgive them. They're people. I'll forgive them, but I will not grant them amnesty. I will not grant them any amnesty. They do not get a pass on their doubling and tripling and quadrupling down on their stupid guidance and edicts. They don't get a pass on that. They don't deserve amnesty for making our lives hell. They, they had numerous opportunities to reverse course, and they didn't. They just kept piling on. They never had so much power in their life, and they clung to it. We have the senile, the senile old fool in the White House who wants us all to be pincushions for his pharma overlords still. 
Oh, I got my fifth jab. You should go get it too. Go get your kid's jab. Maybe they'll get blood clots and have heart attacks. Oops. No, amnesty suggests a total forgetting of what took place. And if we do that, we open the door up to the administrative state trampling our rights at the next manufactured crisis. And that's what these are. They're manufactured crises. Of course, kind of changing gears here a little bit, of course, there has to be some veiled shots at Trump. It is the Atlantic after all. And Oster wrote this. I'm, you know, I can kind of tell she probably leans left. So, you know, like I said, some of her ideas, she seems very moderate, but of course she had to take her shots at Trump. She wrote this. Obviously some, some people being in italics there, obviously some people intended to mislead and made wildly irresponsible claims. Remember when the public health community had to spend a lot of time and resources urging Americans not to inject themselves with bleach? Okay, here's the thing. If you willingly inject or ingest bleach into your body, you deserve the consequences that come with it. I'm sorry, that's harsh, I know, but we don't need public health officials to tell us not to inject ourselves with bleach as a first off. Secondary here, this whole statement of inject yourself with bleach has already been debunked many times over that the statement was made in jest. Thirdly, everybody knows whiskey is a much better disinfectant for the blood anyway. All right, Oster continued on with this. She said, that was bad. Well, yeah, uh, it was bad that people thought that that was a serious statement. Misinformation was and remains a huge problem. But most errors were made by people who were working in earnest for the good of society. Yeah. Again, here's something I agree with Emily on. Misinformation is a huge problem. And it's coming from our own government. It's why I did the CDC story earlier in this show. Our own government is the biggest purveyor of misinformation. And they use their tech overlords to peddle it. I'm sure there are many people who are who are and uh, were at the time working towards the good of our society. But you know what? They ain't at the top levels of our government. They may not even be in the middle management levels of our government. These people are corrupt. They never had so much power. These bureaucrats never had so much power in their life, and they have clung to it like that last leaf that won't fall off the tree through fall and winter and spring. That's how tightly they're clinging to their power. They don't want to give it up. That's why they continue to peddle their misinformation. They continue to try and put the useless jabs in people's arms that do more harm than good. They want control over you. That's what abortion is about. It's, a, it's not about my body, my choice. It's about controlling you and how many kids you can have and how big our population grows. It's a control mechanism, especially given the history of Planned Parenthood and Margaret Sanger, especially of the black community. It's all about control. Instead of admitting they were wrong, they continue to double and triple down on these ridiculous positions that have been debunked and discredited many times over. And day after day get debunked and discredited. And that is why they should never be granted amnesty. No amnesty. They're not turning away from this. At this point, since they're not turning away, they don't even deserve forgiveness either. They haven't asked for forgiveness. They continue to try and trample us. 
no forgiveness either until you come in earnest, say, we screwed up. This was wrong. I see the error of my ways. Please forgive me. No amnesty. And right now, uh, unless it's family members that have come to you, anybody in the government, no forgiveness for them either. You know, your personal relationships, that's different. Your family member comes to you because this all turned family member against family member, friend against friend. It, it destroyed relationships. Those can be repaired through forgiveness. I'm willing to do that. Even companies, I'm willing to do that. Now, these people, these corruptocrats, turned a health crisis into a political game that continues on almost three years later. They're still trying to use this COVID BS to control people, to drive fear. It's not working as much, so they're throwing the flu back into the mix. Notice how the flu came back? Well, flu's magically back now because people aren't afraid of COVID anymore. Oh, well, the flu's back. Go get a shot. You see how they shift this stuff? That's why there can be no amnesty. It's not only COVID they do it with. We've still got companies out there playing this game. There's still companies out there discriminating against their employees who choose to exercise bodily autonomy. These are fraudulent companies that claim to be inclusive, yet aren't willing to include those who chose what they want to do with their own bodies. They won't include those who are choosing what they put in their own bodies. They'll let you smoke, drink, do whatever, but if you don't take this jab, you can't be a part of our company. You can't come into the office. You can't do this. You can't do that. Unbelievable. So no, there's no amnesty. I will forgive those who apologize. I will forgive those who say they were wrong, who earnestly ask for forgiveness, but I will never grant anyone amnesty for what went on during this pandemic. All right, before I go, don't forget to tune into Rucksack Radio. It's live on Tuesday evenings, 7 p.m. Central, for Laughs and Liberty with Tom and I. Now, this coming Tuesday, November 8th, I will be working the polls, so Tom will be running solo. He may or may not have some guests. I'm not sure exactly what he'll have going on. I know he's going to do a longer show covering the election results, so Tuesday, November 8th, tune in live. Tom will be covering it there. I'll be making sure our elections are up to snuff. I'll be back, however, on the 15th, so we'd love, we'd both, Tom and I both love to see you all on with us and engaging in the chats. You know, it's on uh, Riverside FM, and we simultaneously uh, stream it on YouTube as well. So a couple places to watch, a couple places to interact, live, uh, Laughs and Liberty on Tuesdays, 7 p.m. Central. All right, friends, that's my show for today. Thank you for tuning in. Please check out my website, livingwithlibertypodcast.com. There you'll find links to my past shows, my original articles, as well as other resources to help arm you with knowledge in fighting off the prevailing narratives of the day. While on my website, shop my store, Living With Liberty Outfitters. Lastly, I'd be so grateful if you uh, left a positive review of the show and then shared and subscribed it. Should your listening platform allow for things like reviews? Subscribing helps us move up the charts and helps more people find the truth. Thank <laughs> you.